Alex Philadelphia. It takes a lot to make him happy, and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got a hit. Yes! Sally Stable, 132.67, has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 up. Beauty! On the ice for the Gimlet. The Gimlet Welcome back to Off the Podium and Olympics podcast. As we bring you a bit of a different interview today, we've been uh, chatting to a bunch of upcoming Olympians or former Olympians, I guess, who are about to attend Pyeongchang in 2018. But our uh, next guest, somebody who's uh, definitely not competing in Pyeongchang 2018 because he's already had his Olympic career, a three-time Olympian in Mr. Kieran Hansen, who is most notably known, of course, as being a member of the men's 5,000-metre short track relay team from Lillehammer in 1994, which, of course, created history for this nation of Australia by winning our very first Winter Olympic medal. It was a bronze medal, big moment in the history of this nation, and uh, definitely a an honour to be able to chat here to Kieran. And you're going to hear a lot about his uh, career in short track, how he got into the sport, the uh, the early days kind of going into those Olympics, the moment when he won that bronze medal, and, and what he's been up to since. Of course, his take on uh, Stephen Bradbury's famous gold medal win back in uh, 2002, and there's even a bit of a surprise visit by his actual medal, uh, a photo of which we will put up on our Facebook page for you to be able to check out. You'll you'll hear him get it in this interview and probably thinking to yourself, why can't I see anything? Well, it's it's audio, so you'll have to check out the visual on our Facebook page. But uh, without further ado, our fantastic chat. Here it is, Kieran Hansen, 1994 Olympic Games bronze medalist here on October. A massive pleasure to be able to welcome our next guest here to Off the Podium. We've been doing a series of interviews with athletes for the upcoming 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. And at the same time, also been looking back at some past athletes and talking about their careers. And our next guest, very excited to be able to welcome to the show. He was part of the history-making short track relay team that won bronze in Lillehammer in 1994. And also, outside of that, is a three-time Olympian and one of our greatest ever short tracks speed skaters i do of course speak of mr kieran hansen kieran welcome to the program thanks ben thanks for having me it's a huge pleasure to have you here i just mentioned to you off air when i sort of reached out and uh found your details and you replied i got a bit excited it sort of brought back the the seven-year-old back in me i remember watching you guys win that bronze medal uh, 23 years ago now incredibly so uh it must be interesting to sort of get people reaching out to you about this. Is this a common thing that people still are reaching out to you and talking to you about this? No, not at all. Um, I still get a random mail in the letter asking for autographs from 
German uh, autograph hunters, but that's it's as bad as crazy as it gets for me these days. Yeah, it's it's, it's really incredible to kind of look back on on that time because we we recently spoke to Zali Stegel and we're sort of talking to her about you know, everything that led up to her bronze in 1998. But it was just, it was a very different time, I guess, in Australia when it came to winter sports, wasn't it? Because, you know, we, we still say to the winter athletes on the show that, yeah, okay, Australia doesn't really pay a lot of attention to them until the Winter Olympics. But even then, there's sort of all these expectations. It's very professional. A lot of them are doing great things, you know, on the world scene between the Olympics. But it was a very different time, I, I, I think, in 1994, wasn't it, when it came to winter, winter sports in Australia compared to now? Oh, definitely. I mean, it was still, uh, you know, I would have called it an amateur sport back then. Everybody everybody worked and while we, you know, trained, we had to work to support ourselves and you know, like most sort of athletes back back in those days that, that went to the Olympics. So, um, you know, we, we were very much part, well, yeah, I'd say part-time athletes, um, even though um, we, we, were, we were pretty competitive though. We, you know, we, we still um, had a, a, a fairly structured sort of uh, – program training program i guess you would you would call it we had a national coach and um and speed skating was quite an interesting sport um even back through the 60s 70s and 80s that that's one of the things i really enjoyed about the sport it had had quite a, a deep and rich uh history within australia and, and a quite a um, i wouldn't say big community but it had a pr- fairly strong community and and there was always the dreams um of any of the elite athletes or you know top level speed skaters to go to the olympics and at that time sort of before 94 92 actually you know the dream was would have been to be a, a long track speed skater and and sort of short track was a path through to that but thankfully thankfully for us short track became an olympic sport and we were allowed to you know sort of focus on that and and, and sort of train out of australia and now how do you get involved in the in the sport because you know kids in australia they're growing up they're playing footy they're playing soccer they're playing rugby and uh, not often pulling on the skates so how, how do you get involved in in the sport of speed skating yeah that's kind of a common question i get asked it's not a, obviously a high profile sport or common sport to play or, or, or to do um, but I, as a six-year-old kid, I'd always dreamt of going to the Olympic Games and I was, I was doing little athletics at the time. And as I sort of um, got a bit older and, and, and sort of around 11 or 12 years of age, it was quite clear that I wasn't going to make it in, in any of the track and field disciplines. So I sort of fell out of that. And uh, strangely enough, at the time, my sister was playing ice hockey so and, and my mum was learning how to do figure skating at an elder age. So I just followed them down to the ice rink and, and uh, picked it up from there. Didn't, didn't want to go into the ice hockey route because uh, that, that was one I always sort of wanted to play, but uh, I, can, I just can't skate, so. <laughs> well, I, I started playing ice hockey. Um, I joined the, the club at Blacktown. Um, I didn't know how to skate. Mum bought me all the gear and I joined the club and pretty much within the first training session, the coach said, Oh, look, mate, I think, I think you better learn how to skate. Um, so it was then I went to the skate school and actually at that time the coach or the, the lady, one of the ladies teaching uh, the learn to skate was, ended up being our national coach in the, in the short track team. So, um, yeah, that's kind of – then I started doing hockey and, and, and picked up short track at the same time. And do you realise that whilst you're playing hockey, or I guess once you're really getting your feet there on the ice, that you're quite fast? Are you then kind of scouted across, or does that sort of you see the short track guys and think, "Hey, I'm probably going to enjoy that more than hockey"? I yeah, I I, I did have a bit of speed um, in, when I was playing hockey, and but because I was 
through the Learn to Skate program and, and, and I, I kind of, although I didn't really want to do short track because you had, you had to wear tights and <laughs> I wasn't keen on getting beaten up at school at the time, so I kind of resisted for a while. But, but yeah, I, I, it was pretty clear early on that I had a bit of speed and, and then I was sort of tempted across to, to compete in short track. And, I mean, obviously you mentioned sort of, you know, Australia with a bit of history in the sport and kind of in that period sort of what in the 80s leading into the 90s. I mean, that success really obviously came leading into to 91 when you guys would go on to win the World Championship. But what was the the, the speed skating scene like that at that point in Australia? I mean, was it people really just focusing on that short track or as you were saying, were people then trying to use that as a lead-in to the long track because short track wasn't an Olympic sport at the time? In in 88, we were a demonstration sport um, and that's when, um, you know, we were then able to train and focus towards Alberville in 92. Um, But, you know, we had pretty good skaters through the 80s um, in Michael Richmond, uh, Danny Carr, Michael Hearn. There was a whole series of good uh, competitive skaters in Australia, but we also had a pretty good um, sort of um, not elite level, but just high, uh, participation participation rate through um, Western Australia, South Australia, um, Melbourne, Victoria and Queensland and New South Wales was actually quite strong. We probably had about 110 skaters at the national championships around about that time. So, you know, we had a, you know, a little bit of a base there to, to help um, feed into the sort of the elite levels. And from uh, 88... I made I made the national team in '88 when I was 16, and 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 sort of Stephen Bradbury, as you know, he was probably a year younger than me. He sort of followed through behind, and and one of the you know a couple of the older skaters. So I mentioned Danny Carr earlier, but his brother Johnny Carr was in in the relay team, um, and we just probably had a good strong group of five to six skaters, and then maybe seven and eight, nine kind of pushing up up behind. So we had a pretty good pretty good training group. Um, and, you know, Maggie Holland, who I mentioned earlier, our coach, um, as soon as it became an Olympic sport, we pretty much, you know, geared all our training towards qualifying for the 92 Olympics in 1991. And, and it was just um, one of those things. Everything kind of fell into place and, and we became world champions in 1991. It must have been a pretty big deal at that point. You know, the sport is officially an Olympic sport coming into the Games. You guys are world champions. And, you know, obviously a lot of, say, our international listeners might not be fully aware that heading into 92, Australia had never medalled, of course, at the, at the Winter Olympics. So, I mean, how do you find coming off a world championship win and going into an Olympic Games where there had been expectations no doubt in the past that we could medal but i mean this was really one of these opportunities when it's like hey we are the best in the world at this this is this is a real opportunity for us to finally break that duck oh, it was amazing uh, for us you know we were you know i was probably 20, 20 21 at the time and you know kind of our dreams were sort of coming true in, in front of us and it, it even got sort of more in, intense than that the night in the heat in uh, alberville um, we we basically, with Korea in our, but normally at the Olympics you would just have two semi-finals and a final. But because um, France didn't qualify and they were the host nation, it, it meant that we had nine teams instead of eight to make to go through. So they broke it into three heats um, before the semi-finals, and and basically we had Korea, South Korea, Canada, and us in the first heat. And what it, that meant was the first two would go through and then the next fastest third out of all the races would make it into the semi. So, 
you just didn't know um, how fast you had to go. And for us, competing against those two countries who were super strong, um, it, was a, it was an amazingly fast race. And all three teams went under the current world record by seven seconds. Wow. Uh, we beat Canada um, into second, so we went straight through into that semi. So all of a sudden, you know, we're... You know, we're reigning world champions, we're into the semi-finals and, and along with Korea and Canada, we've broken the world record by seven seconds. So, And then the next closest team behind us in, in, in those heats was Japan, who was four seconds behind. So we are, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure I can speak for most of the other guys. I think we kind of um, ran that race maybe a hundred times in our heads before we even got to the semi-finals. So... We, you know, we we got well and truly ahead of ourselves, which is which is a golden state number one when you're an athlete. So that, that you know that, that's kind of big big lesson for us. Mm, and, and sadly, crashed out in in, in the semis. Uh, obviously, it wasn't to be. But I guess the the unique aspect about that time period was given that they they changed the cycle of the Winter Games so that the next Winter Olympics are only two years later. So you, I guess, had a little bit short of, of a period there to really get over that disappointment, push towards another Olympics. And what was, I guess, that two-year period like after Albeville heading into Lillehammer and kind of getting you guys, I guess, literally back on your feet and, and really pushing again for that, that elusive first medal for Australia? Yeah, it was a great opportunity, obviously, as an athlete, to have an Olympic Games come around uh, within a two-year period, so um, you know we were, you know, we got back from Alberville, um, and uh, you know trained trained very hard. Um, obviously, the the year for the Olympic Games, you normally qualify the year before. So for us, that was the World Championships in Beijing in 1993. So we, um, you know, we all got back home. We all trained very hard. We we're focused, and you know, we got third. Uh, it's quite nerve-wracking, actually, at the. You know, trying to qualify for the games because one wrong wrong step and, and you're out. Um, but you know, we made it through to the final. We came third in that final in Beijing, um, so we qualified uh, for uh, for uh, Lilyhammer. Um, for me, and I had a, I was skating quite well individually at the time. Um, I came back from from Beijing actually and picked up glandular fever, which which was which quite was quite a challenge in preparing for the Olympics in 12 months' time. So. I had quite a enlarged spleen for a period, long period of time, and I had to really um, manage my training. I was tired uh, very easily, and had to make sure that I didn't overtrain and become sick again. Um, so I had quite a um, unusual preparation going into Lilyhammer, um, but you know I managed through. I, I think actually to the long term detriment of my you know, my, my career, actually my skating career. As I, never, I never really um, was after after Lillehamm, I never really got back to my, being myself, really. But but yeah, you know, we we put it all on the line and we went into Lillehamm. We weren't uh, what well, we came third in Beijing, though. A lot of teams had started catching up, um, and it was quite it was far more competitive going in into Lillehammer. Um So um, you know, we weren't as confident going in into the games, but but you know, it's uh, it, we got a good result in the end. Obviously, one of the best things too leading into the final was um, in your semi, you also knocked off New Zealand, which must have uh, felt pretty good to kind of get one over them uh, on the way into the final. Well, definitely. In 93, they they won the World Championships in Beijing and they smashed the world record in doing that. Um, and in Lily, in uh, Alberville, uh, in the semi-finals, they were putting pressure on us in the semis and wouldn't say they caused us to fall, but they were definitely putting pressure on us. So 
they were, they, were, they they came fourth in the final in in Albertville, so they were devastated in coming fourth. So for us to to beat them, obviously, yeah, it's always always good to get one over the, the Kiwis. It must be an interesting to have that rivalry, kind of you know, obviously celebrated history, you know, with Australia, New Zealand in cricket, you know, in in uh, rugby and you know every sport, but to kind of to have that rivalry cross into, I guess, a, a sport where neither country really pays a whole lot of attention to most of the time. I mean, that just must have added a bit of extra fun to it. Oh, we've yeah. I mean, we you know we, they would always come to our national championships in in every year and compete against us. And you know we we had you know pretty good rivalry and close. I wouldn't say close friendships, but friendships with, with those guys. You know they tour the same times we we would tour, and, and obviously being Australian, New Zealand, we you know know each other very well. And but yeah, I mean I mean that that was super happy for us. Um, you know, I still see some of those guys. Every now and again, um, you know, around the place, so it's always good to catch up and have a laugh. And we certainly had some fun times and interesting times over, over the you know the ten years that I was I was competing against them. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, now take us through the final. I mean, obviously, you know, we all know what happens. You go on to win the bronze, but I mean, during that that race, uh, the Canadians falling obviously helped you guys basically get into that position where at that point you really know you're going to win a medal if you can just stay on your feet so once the canadians are down you're sort of you're realizing this position you're in how are those nerves because i mean of course i guess part of you is probably like hey cool well you know other people could fall we could go for gold we could go for silver but is it just really a case of finish the race get a medal this is going to be something big for australia um, for me personally, it was a tough race. I was very nervous, um, and the ice conditions didn't don't didn't don't really suit my style of skating. And they, the ice broke up quite a lot, and which I normally struggle in a bit. Um, but it, and I remember being tired very early in that race. And you don't, you know, the last thing you want to be is tired early because it's a long race and it's really hard hard towards the end there with the lactic acid. Um, but you know, with the Canadians gone, I mean, we, we were fighting with, with the Americans there for a silver, um, and the self-preservation part probably didn't really kick in until probably the last, probably two, three laps when Richard was fighting with that Eric Flame. Um, well, Eric came through, didn't really give us much of a much of a choice, um, but yeah, I think that's when self-preservation really really came into it. But but other than that, you fight the whole way through, um, pretty much. And did you realise the significance of the moment when you guys got that medal? I mean, did it take a while to kick in? Uh, I mean, how kind of was those initial moments after crossing the line, you guys have an Olympic medal? Uh, it definitely took a little bit to kick on. Initially, I was not that long, but initially I was a bit dirty that we didn't get the silver. Um, we were so close to, to getting the silver medal, which would have been nice. So that was a bit disappointing. But but then obviously, you know, the reaction from coaches and support staff and you know teammates and people in the crowd was pretty special and, you know, it didn't really matter at that point. And what was the reaction like back home, uh, you know, given that, you know, I, I mean, I remember watching, you know, as a seven-year-old, sort of the coverage of it. I, I don't really think it was really, I think it's about Nagano's that they really started paying a lot more. I mean, it was on TV, but I didn't feel it was the blanket coverage we sort of get today when the Winter Games are on. But, I mean, was it you came home as heroes? Were you guys sort of just treated completely differently? Or was it kind of like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool, but we'll just, you know, put you guys on the back burner again? How did it all happen? Oh, we, um, we, the original plan was to stay on and train in Europe. We had the world championships in, in London, uh, you know, about a month later, but we, we had a, a sponsorship, um, by Telstra at the time and they were quite keen to try and capitalize on, <laughs> on, on the money they'd invested into us. So they, you know, we were flown back and 
Oh, yeah, we were treated pretty well and, and pretty special there for about two to three weeks while we kind of, you know, I remember Andrew Merthyr and myself, we, you know, we were flown down and went on, on, on the Bert Newton show and, uh, you know, there was, yeah, it was a quite, it was pretty good actually. There was quite a few, um, you know, TV interviews and, and uh, you know, I think, you know, we were given the keys to the city um, in, in Sydney. So there was a reception at, at Town Hall there, which was, um, you know, pretty special. And, you know, yeah, we had quite a few, um, special events there which made it you know quite nice and i can imagine too the vibe uh, amongst the australian team then at that point i mean obviously a very small team you know just over 20 i think there in lillahama i mean how how then kind of were you guys i guess treated back in the village you know I mean, was it just non-stop drinking for the rest of the uh the games from that point on <laughs> uh, well we compete pretty much on the last day so or the day before the uh, probably the day before the closing ceremony if not two days before so we party yeah we i mean you know the aoc was uh, over the moon um you know there was obviously many many officials there from the olympic uh, olympic committee and obviously the team and and uh, we, yeah, we we did hit it pretty hard there for a while. I, would, you know, I, don't, I don't I don't remember sleeping before the closing ceremony, and I think pretty much went straight through that night as well. So um, it was good fun. I can imagine. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty decent time for the AOC at that point. You know, only months beforehand, they'd just been given the games in Sydney for two thousand, and then here you are, a couple of months later, winning our first ever medal at the Winter Olympics. So I, I, I can imagine the AOC were just you know over the moon and then some. <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, they were hoping for a medal. They had Kirsty Marshall was was uh, thereabouts, and 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 ourselves were there, so it was the best opportunity at the you know at that uh, in history for us to get a medal, and and uh, luckily we came away with one. I always love to find out what what athletes do with their medals. What what did you do with your medal at the time? What have you done with your medal at the time? Now is this something that kind of pops up every uh, now and then, or? It's behind me. It just sits by the TV. I don't know if you can. I can go and get it if you like. Oh, look, why not? We can get a, we can get a screenshot of you holding the medal. That that would be nice. Uh, yeah, sure. If you want to grab it, grab it, Kieran. I'd love to see it. All right, give me a sec. He's going to get the medal. This is this is the first actually, and off the podium. I don't think I've ever actually seen uh, one of our guests get the medal out. And here we go. This, uh, look, we're going to put this photo up. I think on our page because it's not going good for the audio side of things. Hold it up. I'll take a screenshot of this. It's actually broken, but I'll... Um, oh, I'll that. all right. I'll just hold it up there. Give us a smile. Beautiful. All right. Perfect. Now, that how, so it's broken. How does it break? I need to ask that question now. Uh, where the previous place I lived, it was kind of just hanging off a mirror on the bed, on uh, the chest of drawers. Oh, and uh, there's basically a metal pin that ah. slots in and it's fell off and bent and then I tried to fix it and it snapped off so <laughs> I can't attach the so you can't, can't just send it back to the IOC and go, hey, guys, can you send this to your metal department and fix it? Or <laughs> uh, I, If I could find – I probably could find somebody to fix it, but I just haven't got around to it yet. That, that would be a, a unique situation where you go to, I mean, I don't know, like a, a key cutting or whoever would fix it and say, hi, can you just fix my metal? Oh, what was it for? Oh, just the Olympics, just a bronze medal. <laughs> I normally get Stephen Bradbury to do it. Actually, he's got a guy that's touched up a few one of, you know, his medal as well. So I normally just give it to Steve and just he sorts it out for me. There you go. Yeah, that's simple. Is it, is it something? I mean, kind of over the years. I mean, we'll obviously touch on what you've been up to since. But is it something that um, you know, say you've got friends who come over who maybe aren't familiar, or you know, uh, when it comes to say uh, showing it off at a school or something like that? I mean, is it still something that you, you've got out constantly to sort of talk about? Say, here, here's my medal. No, I feel a bit weird about that. I'm, I'm probably a bit 
uh, I guess, humble about it. I'd, I'd kind of let people work it out themselves. And then if they want to talk about it, I'll, I'll talk about it. Similar to why we're here today, I guess. Uh- <laughs> 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 now, you obviously went on to compete in one more games in, in, in Nagano. Um, not obviously the, the best result for you sort of to close up a career. And you sort of mentioned just before how you weren't necessarily skating your best sort of post Lillehammer. I mean, how kind of was that period in your career and, and sort of how did you come away with Nagano? Did you go into it, I guess, thinking also that uh, there was an opportunity for a repeat? Or um, no, I mean it was it was pretty tough. We, I mean, the team had changed. We'd lost um, Andrew Merthyr and, and Johnny Carr. Um, and, and as I mentioned before, I, you know, physically I had my own issues to deal with, and it was actually just quite an achievement to qualify. As I mentioned before, only the top eight teams go through, and they qualify at the World Championships the year before. So. Um, and even, you know, going from Lillehammer to Nagano, the, you know, the, the, comp, the speed skating became even more competitive, teams were closer. So we actually did a pretty good job just to qualify and and with the team that we had. Um, but yeah, it was tough. I mean, but it was a dream for me to go to three games, um, which, you know, was a pretty big achievement. Uh, but yeah, we, 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 did, we did our best with the team that we had. Um, but yeah, we... You definitely weren't as competitive as we, as we had been in the past. Got to obviously mention four years later, a certain little event uh, happened uh, with uh, one of your teammates, uh, Mr. Bradbury, went on to win that gold, very famous moment. I mean, we, what were you thinking when you saw that race? Because, you know, it's gone down in Australian sporting history about how we did it, of course. But, uh, I mean, are you sitting at home kind of going, wow, wow, and just, just absolutely in shock? Well, I'd missed it because of the, the time zone, but I had a friend call me not long after and, and said, I, you wouldn't believe what Steve did. And I said, no, what happened? He said he won. I went, oh, BS. <laughs> I'm not that disparity show him on it. I went, oh, bullshit. And, um, but yeah, and I said, oh, did everybody fall over, did they? And he said, yep, everyone <laughs> fell over. <laughs> which, which, which can happen. It's not uncommon in, in short track for that to happen. But, um, but then when I watched it and I saw what happened in the quarterfinal and the semifinal and then the final, it's, it, was a, it was a pretty uh, streaky run by Steve. Yeah. What, what do you say to him when you next see him when he gets home? I mean, uh, you just go, oh, how, you, you lucky little bastard. <laughs> oh, we, we probably partied harder than we did in 94. So basically <laughs> he um, had an invite to the Melbourne Grand Prix um, and was invited to bring his, his, his girlfriend, but she didn't want to go. So I... <laughs> I went down, met him down there, and I was at the airport, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty good moment. Yeah, wow, that that's incredible. We, we just, yeah, we just, you know, probably partied for three days, I think. <laughs> and you guys, I mean, it sounds like you just mentioned him before. I mean, you guys still friends, obviously, to to this day. Oh yeah, yeah, we've you know I've known Steve since I was what twelve, and spent you know pretty much 10, 11 years on the road with him, and you know, yeah, we've been, you know, we're pretty good mates. I was. He was my best man, and I think it was his wedding party. So, you know, it's, you know, now we've been in contact the whole way through. Fantastic, fantastic. Sort of post-career then for you, Kieran. I mean, do you did you stay much involved in the sport or in kind of winter sports uh, in general? I mean, to, to this day, is it still something that you sort of um, keep an eye on, I guess, the, the, the how short track is going in this country? Um, not so close. In, I've, I've, I was in Singapore for nine years. I've only been back in, in Australia for... Uh, 15, sort of 16 months now. Um, so I haven't been close to the sport here, but I actually tried to um, spend a bit of time um, with the Singapore Skating Association and, and help them kind of set up 
um, did a bit of coaching there, did a bit of refereeing there and helped them out, run some competitions. So did, did that um, while I was in Singapore. But I, I've also I went to the World Championships in, in uh, Seoul um, last year and I uh, went to Montreal World Championships a couple of years before that. So, and, and it's easy now to watch short track. You can watch it online. Um, the International Skating Union broadcasts everything online now. So you can, if you don't watch it live, you can, you know, go back and watch some of the races. So it's uh, definitely changed a lot. Um, I, know, I know the guys this year at the World Championships had a, I think, um, didn't do too bad. Um, but, you know, it's very difficult to compete in a sport like that out of Australia now. You know, the guys in, you know, the teams in, in Europe, Asia, North America, they're all on the ice, you know, seven, six, seven days a week, you know, twice a day, you know, depends on, the, depending on the time of the year. And we just can't get that much ice time, you know, you know it's, it's expensive and the rinks are managing, um, you know, they've got to make money. So they um, obviously public sessions, uh, they run as many of those as they can. Figure skating brings in quite a bit of money and, and hockey, so it's very difficult to get the ice time. I would. I, I don't know if you've ever been to, to Hobart at all, Kieran, and seen the, the rink that we have down here. It's probably literally about as big as your living room that you're in right now, um, but uh, it's the only one in the state. They play ice hockey on it, there's figure skating going on there, but I've never seen the speed skating on it, so I, I, I'd probably be way too small for it, but I don't know. We could maybe make, a, a I guess, an exhibition event sort of similar to like a 2020 cricket shortened form i don't know uh i i'm kind of intrigued to see what we could do with it <laughs> you'd have to use small skates yes small blocks. yes yes <laughs> i haven't been to hobart no i haven't seen the rink there though mm, it's uh next time you're down here definitely check it out and, and is it kind of after after the medal and then obviously you know since i guess steven's medal kind of and what you sort of have known from the sport within this country did did it really increase the interest then sort of i guess post Lillehammer at least that people saw this saw you guys win the bronze and thought hey this looks awesome i'm going to give this a crack no the, the sport went through um tough times i would say through um probably definitely after uh, 98 um and the, the the participation numbers dropped right dropped right down um it's only really now in the last sort of 18 months maybe two years um they've got back up to that sort of 110 um sort of numbers at the national championship so you know, it did struggle quite for a while there and sort of post your career, uh, you know, obviously uh, being retired now, I guess, for nearly 20 years now, Kieran. I mean, what, what sort of, what, what's, what are you up to now? What, what's kind of the life of Kieran Hansen basically involved? Um, because I was an, an amateur athlete, I, you know, I kind of worked, um, but I was very lucky that I was um, hired by Westpac in 1992. So that kind of gave me an opportunity and leg into the sort of banking and finance world, um, running sort of IT projects and things like that. So... Um, through that, I, I picked up an opportunity with a UK bank in Singapore. Um, so I spent nine years there, which was, which was uh, a lot of fun and, um, just moved back. So, you know, my time these days is pretty much spent with the family. I've got a young six year old and, and a, and a 21 year old. So they keep me busy and then trying to play a bit of golf, um, where I can and, and then just trying to manage the waistline, I'll, I'll walk home from work twice a week. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good life. I mean, what, what age do you do you show your six-year-old kind of uh, tapes of, of dad sort of uh, back in the day? I mean, do, I mean do, do they already kind of know about your sort of uh, past life as a, an Olympic medalist speed skater? Yeah, she kind of gets um, she kind of gets it now. You know, the Olympics 
Um, in in Rio, they did you know quite a few things with a the school there. So, and I guess she was maybe a year younger than that now. So, she yeah, she's probably got a bit of a, a handle on it now. She probably really doesn't know what it means just yet. I don't. I try. I I think I tried to put it on the relay on a while ago, but she got bored after about ten laps. <laughs> wow! Show the end. Like this is this is where Daddy wins the medal, sweetheart. Come yeah. on, you got to watch this. <laughs> exactly. She'll, 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 you know, she'll appreciate it one day, I'm sure. Kieran, this is this has been a lot of fun. I really do appreciate your time, mate, and uh, it's been great to kind of go over this and really, uh, you know, kind of as you mentioned, something that I guess doesn't come up a whole lot, but uh, obviously something that uh, still is is such a great moment in the history of this nation, you know, and for you, of course, to be part of that, uh, obviously, still is a very proud moment. But we appreciate your time here, and uh, thank you very much for joining us on off the podium today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Such a great chat, such an honour, and uh, we also really need to thank once again Kieran for his time giving it to us and uh, having a bit of a chat about his career. It was an absolute honour to chat to him. We have uh, more coming your way, as always. We're approaching our 50th episode. Can you believe that? We're going to be giving you a special kind of best of episode when we do reach that 50th mark. But in the meantime, if you've missed out on uh, any of our 47 episodes before this one, or you want to hear them again, head to our Facebook page, like us there, Off The Podium Podcast. Or remember, you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you do use, like us on there, find all our episodes, rate us, feedback, you know what to do. We tell you every episode, just reminding you once again what to do. Thanks once again for tuning in to Off The Podium and we appreciate your support and we appreciate your company on the show today. We'll speak to you next time wherever you can hear my voice. Good night.